0: All right, friends, good evening, happy hour. It's Thursday, it's happy hour everywhere. And um, I'm really excited, guys, because we have with us a man who really doesn't need an introduction, Dr. Scott Luna, CEO of Breakaway Practice Seminars. If you don't know who Scott is, you may be living under a rock And um, with the world these days, it's quite possible. Who knows? But um, I'm really excited, guys, because this is going to be one very action-packed hour, and it is going to fly by, I have no doubt. I first heard about Breakaway from a friend of mine who, when I told him I was doing a, a startup, he said, have you taken Breakaway? And I said, what is Breakaway? And he basically changed the entire trajectory of my practice. So I found Scott, I enrolled in his startup series, startup seminar in 2016 or 2017. And in that first like four hours, like before the first break, Scott, I was like, how does anybody do this without coming to this seminar? So, um, you guys, um, if you're on, if you can hear us, can you say hi? I'm, if you see my eyes wandering, it's because I'm trying to make sure that we are actually live and that I can see your questions. But um, thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Scott.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a little while since we've seen each other, but uh, of course, your store is absolutely amazing, and I'm, I'm glad we are kind of part of that.
0: Uh, you've been a huge part of it for sure. Oh, I think we are live. Okay. So um, you guys, I wanted to make sure that we were live uh, because we had some technical issues the last time I tried to do this. So um, hop on, introduce yourselves, tell us what part of the startup process you're in and um, ask some questions. Um, But Scott, like what's new? What's new with you these days?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're, um, we're really busy over here. Um, Post-COVID, we're starting to get a lot of seminars again. And I've decided to travel around the country to make it a little easier for people because some people aren't aren't wanting to fly yet. Um, we're doing, uh, of course, we're doing seminars on startups and on, on how we run a practice and have multiple practices. So that's a lot of fun. Um, we're also doing some pretty big things inside of our company, building a bunch of online training modules, doing consulting work, I'm actually personally coaching people one-on-one which is my favorite thing I've ever done. Um, So, so we're just really busy, which is, which is cool. And we're also gearing up for uh, our big annual meeting we have every year, you know, a thousand dentists, we call that our business immersion summit. It's really, really cool. And I'm also of course, gearing up and excited to uh, to hear about your, your retreat that you've got going on in Napa. So that's the latest I haven't had any more kids. I still just have five uh, you know I'm still coaching soccer I've now upgraded to coaching middle school soccer um and yeah i'm you know i'm I'm just uh going out with my wife having a great time trying to stay healthy and that's what I'm up to
0: oh my gosh well, that sounds all amazing i i, I let's okay let's Let's just jump right in. i had i posed um I posed a like a question to the group like what what do you guys want to hear from Scott today if we do have an hour with him? And the first question and the most common question is, what do you think about doing a startup in this economy? Like what are your thoughts? Should we wait? Should we go all in? like everybody is. It's curious to, to see what you have to say.
1: Yeah, and, you know, sometimes I I tend to say the opposite of what a lot of people say. Um, so I, it's not uncommon for people to think I, I sound a little unusual sometimes. I will tell you that in, the hist- well, in my entire career, I've never seen a better moment to open a startup practice. And that's a pretty big statement because you know i'm not as young as you are um but i've never seen a better time and it has to do a lot with covid honestly because what happened with covid is a lot of people are displaced patients are displaced they've got a change in their insurance they got a new job or they don't have a job their dentist shut down for a while and they just stopped going to the dentist during that time um, they're displaced. They're getting new jobs, you know, the the um, with the economy going into a recession, maybe what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of kind of shuffling around in jobs. And so that all is an opportunity. In addition to that, we had big DSOs, medium, small DSOs that kind of halted their expansions. We had private dentists that halted. So there, there was this window where like the, not a lot of startups came into the market. So we got all of these displaced patients We've got not a lot of startups that opened. We've got some dentists that just retired because of COVID. And then in addition to that, landlords lost a lot of tenants. They lost restaurants, mm-hmm. that never made it out of COVID. They lost um, people taking up office space like us that went to a work from home model. Now they don't need the office space. And so it, the the leasing market is turning into kind of the, the renter's market, not the landlord's market. And that. That is is showing us a lot of opportunity with real estate that's available as well as the deals we're getting. Now, there's some downsides right now. Construction costs have never been so high in my career. Mm -hmm. Um, So that means we have to design and build practices that are smarter from the design perspective to keep the costs under control. And we also have to uh, find ways to have the right number of operatories and the right amount of space we need, but do so in a smaller footprint meaning waste less space so that we're not adding more construction costs. Um, And that becomes difficult. Banks are willing to lend dentists um, extra money now that construction costs have gone up. So that's a wonderful thing. We're also seeing there's a lot of technology hitting dentistry that will help a startup, especially increase case acceptance, uh, minimize how many staff they have to hire. Um, Even though, you know, right now, staff are being paid more than in the past, we're able to do more with less of them. So you put it all together. And if, if you know what you're doing, uh, you know you look at the market today and while everyone else is worried and stopping, those that understand what this really is are moving forward. It, it's never been a better time. So any dentists that have wondered like, when's the right time? I know it may not feel that way if you listen to the news. But what I know is says right now is maybe never been better to do a startup.
0: Phew, because I'm doing it again. <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. Has, has the current state of the world, has it changed anything in the, the way that you're teaching? I mean, like your curriculum?
1: That's a great question. Um, in the beginning, you know, 15 years ago when we developed kind of the breakaway model of building and running a practice, we didn't have as many answers back then as we do now. And over time, of course, as the world changes, as patient behavior changes, as we learn more, we update our model, how we do something. What's happened though in the last five years is very little has had to be updated as we've almost perfected the model. There's still some updates, right? There's still new strategies to increase case acceptance even more. For example, there's you know new types of payment options we might look at, new a artificial intelligence software that can help us gain case acceptance. There's new strategies on how we design and build out a practice, little tweaks and updates. Um, And so all of that always happens, no matter what's happening with the economy. Now, when we look at the economy, we look at COVID, those things have not impacted our model. It just has impacted the opportunity in front of us. But it hasn't changed how we run a dental practice or how we design a dental practice. And um, that's very important to kind of focus on because uh, what, what I see is a lot of people react or, or really freeze. They freeze when they sense things are harder or an unknown. They don't, they don't look for the right way of doing it. They kind of just stop and wait. Maybe they're waiting because the economy or COVID or maybe, you know, I don't know when's the right time to start a practice. Like kind of like when's the right time to have a kid. I, You know, as early as possible, I would say, when it comes to starting a practice, but it never feels like the right time. You have to get a lot of information, and that will kind of open up how you see the world, and you'll feel more confident about how to build a practice or run a practice. And maybe that will tip you over into saying, you know what, it doesn't feel 100% right, but I think I can do this. And that's the right time to do it, and that is not, in my opinion, impacted by you know recession for example i mean the data showed during the the, during the great recession dentistry was flat it didn't like tank like a lot of other uh industries dentistry just stopped growing but it still means it still stayed steady during the great recession it's one reason why wall street has just loved industry for the last 20 years is it's a safer play for money for investments you the dentist Not only is it safer, but you have control. So you can do things to counteract the economy. You can do things to market better, no matter what the economy does, to diagnose more, to have better case acceptance, no matter what the economy does. So not only is dentistry a good investment when you're not running anything, when you're just putting money in, like that's Wall Street. Dentistry is an amazing investment when you can actually control where you go with this, when you are the owner of the practice. And again, there's a lot of factors right now that make startups look very, very good.
0: That's awesome. I'm going to read one of the comments. They said, introducing myself, I'm in Indiana. I attended two courses prior to opening doors of my startup 18 months ago. And now I'm headed to Miami for the office management course next week, taking my OM. And we are pretty pumped, not only about learning, but also about the location. So, I mean, you're, it's so awesome. You've helped so many of us, Scott. Like you really, like it's. Every time I mean if you've been to any of his seminars, you know that you'll leave with workbooks, no joke, this thick. And it's like front and back. Lots of lots of valuable information. Do you have a a list of the most common mistakes that doc that you're seeing doctors make when they're doing their first office?
1: Are you talking about uh, doing a startup practice?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I don't have a list, but off the top of my head, I could definitely tell you some some mistakes. Yeah, um, Let's you know, some we don't
0: have an itinerary, guys. So you guys, <laughs> we're just free, free rolling.
1: Yeah, so some, some of these mistakes are going to sound simple, maybe common sense to avoid, yet it's amazing how often common sense things uh, don't properly happen. Don't happen. You know, it's amazing how common common sense mistakes are. So, um, you know, one problem, and I'm going to get very basic for a second. One problem, one big mistake is not understanding what an amazing location actually looks like. We have assumptions. We have assumptions about the next five year growth rate, or about home ownership percentages, or income levels, or population to dentist ratios, and all of those are again merely assumptions. And it's surprising to me how often our assumptions are actually wrong. So the first kind of big mistake is not understanding what an ideal startup practice location actually looks like. Then when we look at, okay, putting a practice in an ideal location, another mistake is not understanding that a huge factor in blowing your budget has to do with your construction and equipment costs. And there are very smart ways to design a practice that takes up less space. Without without compromises, it takes up less space. And when it takes up less space, our construction costs could be like a hundred grand less. And there's also ways where you can pick equipment, brand new equipment, and not spend the kind of money you think you're gonna have to spend. For example, a typical dental chair is maybe seven or eight thousand dollars, but we spend twenty nine hundred on a brand new dental chair that has no like problem with service or reliability. It seats the patient. It leans it back it puts the mouth where you need it and it looks good and it feels good. It's brand new and it costs a lot less and multiply those decisions by the number of ops you want and add all those decisions up and you can look and save a hundred to $200,000 on equipment. All of those savings are with the goal of opening a practice with a lot of extra cash in the bank so that that cash can fuel uh, marketing that brings in a lot of new patients. And without that cash, we don't get those new patients. Without the new patients, we don't end up being a $2 million startup by year three, which is what our average is. That's that's what our model says. Look, by year three, we should be doing around $2 million in collection. We can't get to 2 million in collections at year three if we don't have a pile of money available to us on day one. And we don't get that pile of money if we haven't made good decisions with equipment and with construction and design. And unfortunately, most dentists don't even have a live accurate budget. So they're doing this whole project without every day, every email updating the budget with more accurate numbers to understand when the dust settles on this project, are we going to have a pile of money in the bank or not? That's a huge problem. Another common mistake is getting a free floor plan from, from a supply company. That decision creates a domino effect of wrong decisions because what is designed is going to dramatically influence what you decide. And if you don't understand what good design and bad design actually is, then you will innocently be happy with this free floor plan and unfortunately make a lot of bad decisions. So another mistake is not getting trained or understanding what a good floor plan actually is from a business perspective, what that floor plan should be. When it's done right, Then we skip over all of this loss that the average dentist has to endure in the process of building startup practice. Even after we're open, another mistake is not understanding what actually works to bring in new patients. And another mistake is not even understanding or realizing how poor we are on the phones, how Mm -hmm. bad no-show rates can be with online scheduled appointments, not quite understanding good strategies around signing up with insurance plans or not, and also making big assumptions, like we're assuming 98% of our patients are being reappointed in hygiene. That is so far off from the truth, but we just assume it's that way. You can imagine if you have a startup practice and you're not reappointing a bunch of patients, six months later, you'll still feel like a startup practice. 12 months after that, you'll still feel like a startup practice, because your recall base is the growth is being stunted by this lack of uh, performance on reappointing patients. Um, and again, another mistake, I mean, I'm just go on forever. Another mistake is that we're not even looking at that stuff. We're not even looking yeah. at the right number, numbers, let alone understanding what changes them. We're focused on, oh my God, my countertop is screwed up over the contractor sells and fix it. And. My TV's not working in room two, and my carpet has a stain on it from from the movers or whatever. And what we're not focused on is what actually makes this practice survive, you know? Because that stuff, like reappointment, is not in our face. It's not screaming at us. What's screaming at us is this emotional annoyance of something not being done right in construction. Just like that, three, four, five months go by, and we're still not running a healthy company. And I'll tell you, when you can collect two million in year three. Your whole life is different. Your whole, your life, your kids' life, your kids' kids' lives, are all on a different trajectory when you do a startup right in the first three years. That make sense.
0: Yes. No. Can you guys tell he's passionate about what he does? <laughs> uh, I I I wanted to circle back because when I attended the this was it no the business master's um, seminar. You did that, um, you you gave us, you had like spy callers call our offices and see how many times our front office actually picked up the phones. And for sure, I thought, oh, we're going to be okay. We're totally going to be okay. Our We got our report card back and we were at like, I think it was like 20% answered calls. Yeah. it was uh it was it was really low and um and it was so eye opening too, just that exercise where you um you if you just pulled the the levers a certain direction, like your collections, your case presentation, everything adds up so fast. and what are you so a big a big problem that a lot of the docs are seeing is this horrible, horrible workforce. Nobody wants to work. Um, Everybody is feeling burnt out because now instead of having, you know, two or three people to do this or what have you, it's like the people that you do have in your offices, they're like C players, B players. They'll call out sick and I mean, it's, it's been a nightmare. What are, you, what are you advising the docs that you're coaching?
1: I am not going to say something very popular right now. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Before I dive into that, I don't know where to find great people. I don't, I don't know of that magic website. I don't even know how to look at someone and say, oh, they're going to be great. No idea. And honestly, I don't think it's about that at all. What I know is that when I take people and create an environment around them that's the right environment, they become their great version. And it's amazing how often I'm asked, like, how how did you find such great people? I'm like, shit, they weren't great when I found them. I, I don't know where to find great people. It's all about the environment you create around them because naturally most people want to be proud of what they do. Uh, they, they perform better if they're given some accountability, some training, some auditing, right, some reason to know they're being looked at. And especially when we combine that with validation that they're doing good, with listening to them and respecting them, not just like saying, but actually acting that way, it creates an environment where they're just the best version of themselves. I, I kind of remind, reminds me of my analogy, I always like to go back to health because of course, as you know, I was in a wheelchair off and on for 11 years, and I was not a very healthy person. How are you going to go? How are you going to go jog when you're in a wheelchair? Right? It's hard to be in shape when you can't even move. And I had, I eventually got out of the wheelchair. I had all surgery, and I eventually had to get in shape. I had to become the best version of myself. But I hate working out. I hate eating right. It's not for me. I don't want to do lunges. I, I want to eat donuts. Like I don't want eat right and work out. How how did I? I pay a personal trainer to say, Scott, go do the lunges. And that's all it takes. And then I'm like, all right, well, I'll go do the lunges. And I pay someone to make me my meals. And then I grab what's convenient, which is healthy. And that becomes my daily habit of working out a little bit, of eating right a little bit. That daily habit changes my whole life. That little thing every day changes my whole life. You look at employees, team members. I can tell you that um, when you do it right even in a tough market like this your what you might call C players will perform at a high level and when they perform at a high level you can afford to pay at the top range of salaries and when you do that you retain and recruit other people that are easier to become a player and so it's like the chicken or the egg like what do you you know what, what's really the problem here The problem, in my opinion, is the owner of the practice. That's the problem. The owner of the practice has become a tooth cutter and not a CEO. And if we were a CEO, we would understand that the way to have an A team is to spend our time serving their environment, that they become the best versions of themselves, as opposed to expecting them to help us at an A level. Uh, a great analogy here is, and I, this won't take very long, but my son's soccer team was absolutely horrible. They lost every single game in the entire season, 10-0, 11-0, 12-0. You know, in soccer, it's supposed to be 2-1, <laughs> 3-2, The only goal they scored the entire season was an own goal. Horrible team. The next year, they only got two new players. They lost two players, and they were all bad. No one was good. Not one A soccer player on the team. And they won every single game by a blowout, won the tournament, went, went all the way to the city, and won first place in all of San Antonio. They're from a tiny little school, and none of the players are good. And the only difference from one year to the next was that I became the coach. And I coached that team, and I realized no one's good. But if I create an environment. If the right environment they will become amazing and what i did is i picked them up from school every day and made them practice for an hour and took them back to school i did i did that no one was practicing five days a week and i made it convenient so that they had to say yes and then i took their strengths and i made sure that we exploited any little strength any little kid had and when we put that together the right way suddenly the kid that could run fast within the position i needed were a fast runner and the the kid that could defend halfway well, I taught him how to use that and now be the right defender. And now suddenly everyone thought we had amazing club players who played soccer since they were three years old. And we didn't. We had bad players that had the right environment and they became a very winning team. In a way, if we're not auditing phone calls, our receptionists will never become their best self on the phone. We don't train the receptionists what to say, they'll never become the best self. But when we train them and then we audit them and they correct through their issues, they become the best versions of themselves. And then every time we audit them, we just smile because they're so amazing. Mm-hmm. And then everyone asks us, God, how do you find such great people? And you don't even know. You don't know where to find great people. But when you realize it's about what you do as a CEO, you'll quickly see it's really you serving their environment. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Where do you draw the line between auditing and micromanaging?
1: Oh, auditing is the laziest way to manage. I might call it the opposite of micromanaging. Auditing is just taking a tiny little sample and scanning it and saying, is it, is it good or bad? Is there something wrong or not? Micromanaging is doing every step on every patient, for example, with your own two hands. You see, auditing is the opposite of that. It's taking a tiny sample and not doing any of the work yourself, just looking to see how the work was done. And you know, let's say, okay, you had 40 patients in a day, you audit two, and you find out that consent forms weren't done, right? And then you go to the people that are supposed to get the consent forms, you say, hey, you found out these consent forms weren't done, please get them on these two patients, and then we're gonna look tomorrow to see if they got done. And that's the process you're not going and doing the consent forms yourself on 40 patients, or you're not looking over their shoulder every time they need a consent form, you're ignoring it for the rest of your day. Well, the only time you go and grade this test is once a day on a tiny sample size. It's the opposite of micromanaging. Although I know to someone that's never done this, and it could seem maybe like, like if you look at their work, like maybe you're micromanaging their work, not at all. Because you're need a a tiny sample, you're never fixing the problem. They're fixing the problem. You're going to keep looking until that problem's fixed. They won't get you saying, hey, let's fix the problem. That will cause people to then become a better version of themselves. Uh, just for example, if, uh, you know, if, if the lobby was always a mess and I walk in, I say, hey, the lobby's a mess. Receptionist, it's your job to make sure it's clean. Please clean it. Next day, lobby's a mess. Receptionist, please clean the lobby. Next day, the lobby's a mess. Receptionist, if you want this job, you gotta keep this lobby clean. And that becomes uncomfortable. And then the next time the receptionist sees me walking around, she's like, crap, I need to go clean the lobby. And that's when we get behavior change. And then every time I walk through the lobby, it's a physical reminder to that receptionist that it needs to be clean and she keeps it clean. And I think I've got the best receptionist in the world. That's a simple little kind of example, but that is what auditing does. It brings accountability. And it's all about the the fact that the audit is happening is just a reminder to everyone that, Hey, it's important. We need to get it done. That makes sense.
0: Yes. No, I love that. I love that. We have a question from the group. Um, when, uh, what is the best way for the recalls to stay motivated? I'm presuming to keep their appointments.
1: Uh, I'm not so sure I understand the question. So, what's the best way to make sure patients come back for their six-month cleaning? Is that is that the question?
0: Yes. So, even if let's say I, this this is what I'm gathering is is what the question is. So, let's say you are doing a great job at reappointing, and then the day of, and we're starting to notice this too a couple days before, or even the morning of, all of a sudden the schedule is falling apart. Do you recommend like taking deposits to book appointments or?
1: Okay. So stop trying to change patient behavior. All right. The only time we then try to change patient behavior and build very practice, my schedule is slammed absolutely full. So and I'll explain all this. But imagine my schedule is booked out too much, two months. And I have a no show I'm like, damn, I could have someone else show up. I'm booked out two months. <laughs> if that's the case, I want to have a cancellation fee for no shows so that I prevent some people from no showing canceling. And then the ones that do, they get a fee and they get mad and they leave because over time I want a schedule for patients that show because I'm slammed. That's much different than I have. If I have openings all over my schedule, if I have three openings today and I have a patient no show, It didn't cost me any money because it's not like I was totally full, could have put another patient there. I already had three other openings. That didn't cost me any money. So therefore, I don't want to build a barrier to try to change their behavior and risk losing them. I need to keep these patients. Even if they're no showing sometimes, I've got openings everywhere else. It's not hurting me. What hurts me is if I start losing people. All right. So if we think in the startup world, we got openings. Let's quit trying to change patient behavior too much. Don't think if you say it a certain way that it's going to cause them to just show up. That's not how it works. People aren't saying, you know what? I got a dental appointment. Do I feel like showing up today or not? No, that's not how it works. It's usually a logistical thing in their life that is taking priority over the appointment. So it's more about how do you protect the practice so that if there is a no show, you're not impacted too badly with it. And this is where I write a couple recommendations. First thing is schedule patients six months and two weeks out, not six months and a day, six months and two weeks. What that gives you is the next two weeks of patients, we could pull back earlier if you wanted to fill a hope opening today. They'd still be due for their cleaning. And the patients that are booked in the next two weeks have a high likelihood of being willing and hopefully able to like, just come in a little bit sooner. So if you schedule all your recalls, six months and two weeks later, you always have two weeks of patients to pull from to fill today's opening. Another issue is how you confirm their appointments. If you schedule someone six months and two weeks later, don't think that just by confirming their appointment one or two days ahead of time, you're not gonna have a problem. What we need to do is remind them of that appointment because they may not have kept it or put it in their schedule on their phone or whatever it might be. They may have said yes, but not done anything with it. So two weeks before the appointment, we remind everyone they have an appointment coming up, which can be done via automated text, live text, email, phone call. We remind them two weeks ahead of their appointment. That gives us a chance to then deal with any sort of cancellations or reschedules. We got two weeks of notice to try to address that hole that that we just ended up with. So those two little things right there should dramatically impact kind of your ability to fill today's hygiene schedule when we have this normal expected kind of change on recall appointment.
0: Ah, that was such a great tip. We're gonna start doing that tomorrow. Uh, Thank you, Scott. I'm taking a lot of notes. I never take notes, by the way. Um, okay. We have a lot of questions now. It's awesome. So how would you structure a practice to collect 2 million? If you only like doing bread and butter dentistry with limited specialty service, what is the minimum number of ops that you would need to achieve that?
1: Well, I'll tell you when I describe the $2 million startup, it's typically five or six ops doing almost all bread and butter dentistry with lim- limited specialty services. So the person just described the practice that does 2 million. Um, I'm, a lot of dentists will be able to do the 2 million without associates. Some dentists won't hit that number unless they have a part-time associate. So keep that in mind. It depends on, you know, your own abilities. But if we think in general, what creates 2 million? To start, always start with a simple question first. What creates two million? It creates producing, it creates collecting it, right? To collect it, we gotta produce it. Okay, well what creates production? It is how many patients we see, multiplied by how much we diagnose, multiplied by our case acceptance. So the patient flow and the diagnosis and the case acceptance are the three things that create two million in production. So when, to produce more patient flow that is a combination of new patients and recall patients and there's all kinds of things that make those healthier past patient flow we got diagnosis how do we diagnose more learning more procedures is one way you learn how to fix an anterior cross by with a poly appliance with a spring that's a weekend course and the rest of your career you diagnose more procedures diagnosing more could also mean having technology help you find more could mean having um, a, a bigger focus on preventative dentistry, where in the past you only talked about sealants on kids, now you're gonna talk about sealants on who, whoever needs a sealant, right? Um, sometimes diagnosing more is diagnosing what there is that you're just not saying, for whatever reason, you're just not saying it. Um, and so that's the second kind of knob, the diagnosis knob, right? patient flow, it diagnosis, with case acceptance. Case acceptance is made up of a lot of things. The payment options are a big one. What are your options to pay? You better have an option for a patient that has no money and poor credit, because that's the big opportunity. Um, Also, case acceptance has to do with kind of the law of sales, which I know we don't like to say we sell dentistry, but the laws of sales are the same laws of case acceptance. And so we can learn from that. And in the laws of sales, it says, don't use a long-winded, complicated form with a bunch of numbers on it. It says, don't move a patient right before you ask them to to commit. Don't move them into a new room. There's a whole reason behind that. It talks about what kind of verbiage works and what doesn't work. And the more we educate, the less our case acceptance, by the way. If you offer too many options, it freezes case acceptance. There's a lot of things that impact that. It's not what you maybe think, do I have a good treatment coordinator? No, that's not what it is. It's also not the fact that patients don't have money. No one has money for the dentistry they didn't know they needed. But they all have money they're spending on a bunch of other stuff. They have money. And, and having the right payment options ensures that anyone can get the dentistry done. So those are just real, I know we don't have a lot of time, it was real quick and just trying to kind of pull back the curtain, show you get the two million, isn't doing all-on-four all day long. It's not. It's not that you're an ortho practice. It's that you are doing these three things in a healthy way. Patient, You can get to $2 with one dentist, five or six stops, on average, if you follow the right model. When you're at $2 million collection, especially if you don't have an associate, you're probably taking home eight hundred grand. Um, which might to some people seem just unbelievable, but I can tell you, it's very normal to see that in my world. And like, I can tell you, for example, I I personally coach like one on one about a dozen dentists right now, and i had to guess maybe two thirds of them take home more than a million a year and take home. And, and you know and that just sounds crazy to someone that thinks. 150 grand or 200 grand is, is normal and expected a million it sounds crazy they must be doing all on poor all day long no I mean that's one way to do it but that's not the way that's not the way I know how to do it Does that make sense
0: yes and these are all PPO practices too
1: yeah for the most part the prices I'm describing have a combination of PPO and fee-for-service. If they had something like Medicaid, it would be a tiny, tiny portion of the practice. It doesn't actually help or hurt like the ability to get to $2 million is not reliant on that. What these aren't are these outlier practices. Like, oh, my God, they're all fee-for-service with super high fees. Or they're all Medicaid practices with five dentists and high volume. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the practices that to us look normal. But when you see them on paper, they're like, oh, my God, they're successful. But again, when you walk in the practice, it looks normal—normal normal dentistry, normal patients, normal size, normal team members. It looks normal.
0: Um, how much information does the team know about the numbers? And um, I love—I loved it the first day when I went, and it was the business. The business masters, and I had my my team members there sitting in the front row. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, and what did you what did you tell? Do you remember what you said? Like you basically want your dentist profitable. So I just want to pick your brain because I know a lot of dogs.
1: No, that's not what I said. I said oh. I said. I'm gonna correct you. I said okay. if you are an employee, I said if you are an employee in the practice. Part of your job is to help make the owner of the practice wealthy. Just like if you work for Apple, part of your job is to make the shareholders of Apple wealthy. That is what we're in. A dental practice has to be profitable and it has to deliver great patient care. And when one of those are weak, it just doesn't work. And, um, you know, to have the team, when the team understands that when the owner becomes wealthy, There's a wealth of choice for what the team can achieve and what the practice can do. When the owner isn't wealthy, the only thing that matters is trying to get enough money. And that is a rough way to live and run a practice. When there's excess success, financially speaking, there's excess choices. And it's in that environment that the team themselves will have the best job they've ever had, the highest pay they've ever had, the best benefits, the best time off the best equipment the best environment when the owner has the best profit so to do that we definitely share numbers with the team a whole lot of numbers but we don't want to fall into the trap most of us fall into where numbers are so much and become so meaningless and they don't get attached to what to do then it's just like Entertainment. Oh, look at our numbers. Here they are. And then let's just keep doing the same old bullshit. That's not what we want. We want numbers to be impactful to our behavior. And that means every person understands the key numbers to them, to their life, to their behavior. And we, as a company, create an environment around them where those numbers become one way they're looked at and one way they're praised. Um, and, and so... To answer your question, like we are sharing a ton of numbers with the team, profit included. And I know that might sound scary to Dennis that make a lot of money, but I believe it's because you have this assumption that says, oh my God, if they know how much money I make, they're going to want more money. That's a really big assumption. That's a very unhealthy way of thinking about your team, not giving them the credit. They can be mature enough about the company to do the right thing. Also, if you do have that bad apple that says, Oh my God, you make that much money. I deserve some of it. You get rid of that bad apple, which sounds scary. I know, but it will be the best thing you've done. Thank God you gave them the numbers and found out who the bad apple was because that becomes a cancer that can stunt your career. Uh, Of course, there's all kinds of strategies around how do you pay your team how can you ensure that if you do lose someone or fire someone, whatever it is, that you're not really hurt by that? Uh, you know, there, there's, It's a holistic view of a company. It's not, hey, silver spoon, just, just put this in your mouth, you're good to go. No, it's not like that. It's a holistic view of a lot of things that are connected. And the good thing is you don't have to do them all. As long as you just do some, you're chipping away at this issue of how do I create this successful practice, you benefit every time you do the next right thing. That's the beautiful thing about this. Yeah. It's not like you have to do 100 right things before you get to be successful. No, every time you do yet another one, you just go up the ladder of success.
0: That makes so much sense, and thank you for uh, correcting me, because the way you said it sounded way better. (laughs) Um, We have so many questions, and obviously I want to be respectful of your time. I would love to have you back anytime you can give us, Scott. um, We always have so much knowledge that you you share with our group, and that's why we love you, and we love Breakaway. I want to switch gears because I want to give you the opportunity to talk about what is happening in August, um, also in Vegas in September.
1: Yeah, so, of course, as you know, Ashley, but no one knows on this, um, on this, on this video, this webinar, you and I were talking, and I said, I thank you for supporting us in the past, and we decided to give your group, your community, an opportunity to come back to one of our seminars, if they've already been, or if they haven't been, you know, gosh, yes, please come to one um and and to save save money on that if they want um so my recommendation to you is if you've thought about coming to one of our seminars or you know you want to come then pick one of these two dates because because you'll save money and specifically one of these two dates has another few reasons why you should go so let me explain this to you um we have our big varsity course called the business masters seminar it's Two full days of this. It's 400 pages. It's me, uh, just walking you through the ins and outs of how we run the business side of dentistry. That is the seminar I'm most proud of. It's our, like I said, our varsity course. It's the foundation of what I feel like every dentist should know to become very successful. We're giving that course throughout the year, but there's two specific dates that might interest you guys, and it'd be cool if y'all are gonna come. You're all together. You're all going to connect at this event. You're you're all going to be part of your own group. So the two dates, write these down if you need to. Trust me, write these down. Um, August the 19th and 20th, Miami. And September the 22nd through 24th in Vegas. All right? Um, If you want to save money on that, you'll save hundreds of dollars. I don't know how many. It's like 10 or 15%, something like that. You'll save hundreds of dollars if you use this code, write this code down. Smile VIP, I think is the code. Um, And in Miami, we're doing a seminar, but in Vegas, not only are we doing this same seminar, but we have our annual Business Immersion Summit, which has like 45 business training courses, huge keynote speaker, all the greats of dental practice management, Um, It's a really big deal. And we had like over a thousand people there the first time we ever offered it. Um, So that is September 22nd um, through 24th in Vegas. Write this website down if you want to learn more about that summit. It is, oh, hold on. I need to find the website. Sorry, I am unprepared. Uh,
0: And we're going to post all this information in the link also, Scott. Of course you
1: are. Perfect. <laughs> so, so if you type in summit.dentalwhale.com, summit.dentalwhale.com, you'll see the business emergency summit. All right. So anyway, that's enough on that. Just know if you'll ever want to come to one of one of our seminars, you can save money. And back to what you said, Ashley. I, you know, this is so easy for me. I'm at home. Um, you know, I it's easy for me to sit down in shorts I thought- <laughs> Uh, so, you know, of course, um, I've known you for a while now, Ashley. so anytime I could be of help to your group, uh, please like ask me, don't wait for me to reach out to you. If you, if you'd like me to talk again, you know, however many times it's easy for me, there's no cost. It's hardly no every day. I, I'm happy to do, you know, <laughs> I, don't know I don't know about every day, but I'm happy to do a makes sense for you guys. And it can be over very specific topics if if that's something your group wants.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, Can you guys comment below if that is something that you want to take Scott up on? Um, But but really quickly, I just wanted to talk about uh, the Vegas one. I'm going to be there. So I would love to see anybody here. Um, I, I'd love to meet you guys and hang out in Vegas for a few days. And that seminar that Scott is talking about, the Business Masters Seminar, it is so good, guys. I'm taking it again because it's a refresher course. So I'm going to be in that with you if you decide uh, to to take it. Um, and I... I'm just so grateful for you, Scott, for doing this. Like I, I have learned so much from Scott and I don't get any kickbacks for promoting this guys. I do it because whatever success that we've achieved, I attribute so much of that to the breakaway philosophies. Scott is a brilliant business mind. And for that reason, I wanted to, um, I wanted to to save like one of the best parts. So we're hosting a retreat and I wanted a very small mastermind group of high level, high achieving like-minded docs in Napa for a few days to connect. And guys, the best part is our headliner for this event. He is going to be closing out the seminar on Friday. We have Scott for four hours, guys talking about can you give them like a sneak peek Uh, he's creating a whole like course just for the mastermind group in napa okay take it away scott because i'm too excited yeah
1: so ashley told me about this retreat in napa with you guys that um sounds like a really fun thing and a really cool thing to connect it's not just some course you take but it's a whole experience so we're talking about what might be good with that. And and I, I, I wanted to and agreed to um, to be at that course with you guys, that retreat. And I'm going to speaking for about four hours, I think. And this is, I'm going to create a whole thing just for you guys. Um, it's going to be this kind of concept. So here's a little sneak peek. Um, there's three main phases of a dentist's career. You have the first phase where you're willing to work hard. You want to earn more money. You want to grow. You want to do it right. You're earlier in your career. You may or may not own a practice yet, but you're willing to work for success and do what needs to be done. And that's phase one. And then from there, you want to go to phase two, which says, you know what? I want to be even more successful, but God, I don't want to white knuckle this. I don't want to work so hard. Are there smart ways to find the success where I'm now kind of the person that's not working as much? that's phase two. And then phase three goes to the investor phase. Can I do even better financially without maybe even working at all? Can I multiply myself without having to actually do the work? That's how I kind of see in general a career of a dentist, potentially, if you can make it through all three phases. It's that first phase where I want to work hard. I'm willing to work hard. I want to be more successful. I want to do it right. Getting that first phase to the second phase of, can I be even more successful without the hard work? That's what I want to talk about, that transition from the first phase to the second phase. And the way that I'm going to walk people through that is to show you that running a company, in dentistry especially, has to do with managing your operations, managing your financials, and managing your team. Managing the operations, meaning all the, how do you answer the phone? How do you present finances, right? Managing the financials, meaning what are we spending money on? Are we finding profit? And managing the team. And to glue those three things together in a healthy way, we have to be the CEO that has the right habits every day to ensure the financials and the operations and the team are being managed properly. And when we're that CEO, we better not put both eyes on the company, but we better keep one eye on our life to make sure that this organization we're building or becoming successful with is going to provide fuel that will actually give us a life we want, as opposed to dentistry controlling our life, right? And that's a mistake a lot of people get into. I want to make sure that we know why we're going to, from phase one to phase two, so we have this extra success and fuel that then we can use on the things that don't have to do with dentistry that get us the life we want. That could be more time with family. It could be Bigger purchases, it could be living bucket list dreams, it could be health. A balance in your life is what we're really looking at a balance that makes you proud and happy. So, that is a very kind of high level overview of what I'm going to walk everyone through for four hours at this retreat, which I'm super excited about. And I've never put these specific topics together in this way, I'm doing it just for this retreat. And uh, I, I do have a lot of experience with some of this stuff, so I think it's going to be very valuable.
0: And I—I I mean, I'm so excited. Scott even moved one of his own seminars to do this for our group, and um, I'm so grateful, Scott. Like, can you guys imagine a small group of dentists? There's probably going to be 25 of us, and Scott wine tasting talking CEO high-level stuff. It doesn't get any better than that. Join us in Vegas at the Business Immersion um, Summit. Join us in Napa to have Scott again. Um, And yeah, like we will definitely take you up on that offer, Scott, to come back because there are a lot of people who are saying yes with a lot of S's. So... um, You guys will um, sign up, sign up for all of the things. Colin has already posted all the information for Scott's event. Colin, will you please um, let them know how to sign up for NAPA? Um, You will not want to. This is the kickoff of the mastermind that we're going to be doing for the whole year, guys. And I'm sure I can convince Scott to to be our guest of honor on, on some of those um, Mastermind webinars as well. Right, Scott?
1: Yeah, I would love to. Um, what are the dates for that?
0: We're going to be there November 16th to 20th. The Napa. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, there Okay, awesome. i was just making sure I had it in my calendar block. It's totally blocked, so we're good. Uh, okay. we did move the seminar. One of our seminars make this happen, so that's how excited I'm about doing that because we never move seminars. Honestly, it's such a huge amount of work to move <laughs> a seminar, but we I, I just told her I don't care. I want to go to this thing, so that's what we're doing. Yes,
0: awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys, for I'm watching. For... Okay.
1: I'm bringing my wife. What?
0: She's so a- that? You better bring your wife. I can't wait to meet her.
1: Good, she's Okay. Coming i'll leave my five
0: kids at home awesome oh good even better (laughs) all right scott thank you again so much for everything that you do for our industry and for keeping private practice um alive and um and thank you guys for tuning in this is going to be featured as an announcement DM us if you have any questions and we're also going to dub the audio and make this into a podcast. All right. So um, have a great Thursday. And thank you again, Scott.
1: All right. Thank you for having me. We'll see you next time.
0: See you next time. Bye, guys.